Seinfeld. The sponge is over, but we're just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recap of podcasts about nothing. And now, here are the two guys who are clearly unsponge-worthy. Rob Sistrino and Kiva Winokur. Kiva, how are you? Here are the two guys who talk the talk but never walk any walks. You know what? At sometimes you, you're worried about being on the nose, and then I think then you can get too cute. And I feel like this is the sponge, sponge worthy. Everybody's listening to this. It's like okay, oh good, sponge, sponge worthy. Uh, let's talk about this. Let's let's not bury the lead. Okay, fair enough. We'll, we'll, we'll only talk about sponges. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about the sponge a lot here today as uh, we discuss uh, a rather famous episode all about the sponge and Elaine's hoarding of a discontinued birth control device. And I really feel like this episode is uh, very much ahead of its time on a number of different issues uh, (laughs) with uh, uh, many different storylines. But I feel like the idea of hoarding something, I feel like, uh, was uh, not talked about a lot in 1995. Oh, I could I could give you. Don't get me started on hoarding. I'll give you two hours right now on hoarding from 1995 or modern times. Oh, uh, from right now. Yeah. Why? Who's hoarding? Looking at it right. Now. I listen. I can't say. I don't want to throw you know people um, under the bus. They might one day find out about this podcast. Right. But in this case, uh, Elaine is hoarding because a product was discontinued. Not some sort of like end times discussion of okay, well. I have, you know, 50 years to live after the apocalypse and I need to make sure I have birth control. There's always an excuse for why people are hoarding. Yes. But at the end of the day, it just boils down to they're a hoarder. Yes. Okay. So you think that a lot of these end of world, uh, what's the right word term for them? These uh, sort of uh, doomsday preppers, doomsday preppers. You think they're just hoarders and this is just sort of like a different end around. That sounds cooler than hoarder. Yes. I think it's the same sort of mental illness. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. It's all connected. Interesting. Now, let me ask you a question connected to hoarding. Are you an expiration date guy? What do you mean? Like if something is expired, will I throw it out? Yes. I mean, I think I am very wary of a thing that is past its expiration date. I think I'm, depending on the product, I think I may use it following uh, the expiration date, but I'm definitely very wary. I'm, I'm not like one of these people that's like, ah! Yes. What if you were offered tuna from 2007? Tuna from 2007. I think I'd be out on fish. Seems like something that you could do a number on you. So eating uh, old can of tuna fish in a not doomsday prepper type situation. Okay. So I'll pass on the tuna. Okay. That's what, <laughs> why do you have tuna from 2007? I'll say I was offered it very recently. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I believe was that the end of the Bill Parcells coaching run also 2007? <laughs> um, I'm not sure, but that, I, I feel like that's, uh, yeah, I don't know. Bill Parcells, he seems like the type of guy who would eat 10-year-old tuna. Though, Bill <laughs> All right. All right. He doesn't We're look at expiration. Way days. off the beaten path already as we get ready to talk about The Sponge from Seinfeld, December 7th, 1995, written by our good friend Peter Melman, and uh, a lot to talk about here today. Of course, uh, Keeve, you are on your worldwide tour all over the globe. Uh, where are you at today? Uh, right now, I'm in South Florida, Hollywood, Florida. Del Boca Vista? Uh, uh, I'm very near Del Boca Vista. I was thinking this is the third summer in a row that we've been doing a Seinfeld podcast whilst, you know, I'm sitting in my mother-in-law's house mm-hmm. in in South Florida. And that seems like a lot. I feel like the first uh, I didn't even have a mic the first summer. Like I was do- I literally phoned it in. I-, I was using like her her landline for one of our 
early episodes, I remember. Well, that was where we had to, in some sort of like the Martian type uh, experiment, I had to uh, send a microphone to you in Florida where you could get it. That's right. <laughs> Thinking back, this is our third summer. It's like, wow, that's a lot. We've been doing this for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And then I started thinking, like, this is only episode 119 today, The Sponge. Yes. So we're going to be doing this again next summer. Yeah, next summer will be when you are on the, sort of the Manny Ramirez uh, farewell tour. Correct. But still, we will have a fourth straight summer of me, I mean, assuming I'm in Florida next summer, me in Florida, uh, you know, doing this ridiculous podcast. Uh, <laughs> yes, we will almost be done at this point. We'll only have a few episodes left if, if it's in August. Yes. But, um, I, I it, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit, you know, it's nice that, but it's also a little bit depressing. The I'm summertime sure. tradition, <laughs> like no other. That's right. Okay. So uh, other than you being on your tour and depressed and watching Olympics, so uh, any Seinfeld-related news this week? I, you know, I've been so busy on vacation that even if there was news, they, could, they literally could have announced this week that Seinfeld was coming back, and I might not <laughs> Wow. What would that look like? Uh, like a reboot of Seinfeld? Wait, is it a reboot or the original cast is coming back? Oh, together? women, baby. That's, that's oh, where you go in 2016. Is that what it is? It's the Ghostbusters model? Yes. You go, uh, Natalie Portman is Jerry. <laughs> she's doing TV? <laughs> Listen, she's, she's fallen on some tough times. Is Natalie Portman really like leading a movie in 2016 or people mm. going to the theater for Nat Port? <laughs> yeah. So you got Natalie Portman. You get maybe uh, Elaine is uh, 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 AD Bryant. Wait, uh, from SNL. they're all women? The Elaine it's all women. It's four guy? women, baby. Four women. Got to go all women. Got to learn from the Ghostbusters. And and the Ocean's 12, they're doing like an Ocean's with all women, too. Yeah, but even the Ghostbusters, I believe that they had like the Janine character was a guy in the Ghostbusters. Yeah, I haven't seen it. And now you spoiled <laughs> it, so I don't have to see it. That's what I spoiled? That was what you were going to see? Yeah. What they I didn't did know with there was the Janine receptionist listen, character? If, it, listen, if there's one man in that movie, I'm not going to see it. <laughs> it's all women. If you commit to all women, you got to do all women. So even Newman is a woman. Newman is uh, Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> well now it's really getting too close to ghostbusters all right uh we can work on this pitch and workshop this as we go along all right so then let's get into talking about the sponge and our episode discussion today because i think we're gonna have a lot of different things that we need to talk through so the sponge of course uh starts off jerry is talking about in his stand-up that he has a friend who wears eyeglasses with no prescription because he thinks it makes him look more intelligent why is this a thing and i believe that we've talked about this on the show i think specifically with jake jarmel and his glasses that this has become even more of a thing from 1995 that more people are wearing glasses just for the cosmetic approach of it yeah i get that all the time people are like well you wore glasses so i thought you were smart yes and so jerry says if somebody has a hearing aid it's not like you would think that they strain their ears hearing all of the important stuff it's just that they can't hear. So I think that there's probably still a lot of truth to this. People are wearing glasses so that they look smart. And also, I think it's probably less of a thing that people are assuming somebody is smart because they have glasses. Yeah, I think this holds up well. It's good stand up. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we get to monks. Jerry, Elaine, and Kramer are talking. And Kramer needs someone to sponsor him in the AIDS walk. He's joining the fight against AIDS and Kramer outs people from early on here in this episode about there's some people that just wear a ribbon and think they're doing something not Kramer he talks the talk and walks 
the walk. And I think that this is also something that's uh, particularly relevant to modern times. And the idea of, I changed my Facebook profile picture. That's the new ribbon. Ooh, yeah, that is a that's, that is a good Literally, it's a ribbon a lot of times, right? Yes, it's the ribbon. I changed my profile picture. I sent out a tweet. Kramer, I think, would be very much against that. And I find myself also against that, Keeve. Yeah, I never changed my profile picture. Literally, my it's uh it's over ten years old at this point. My profile picture, and I'm never going to change it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I did, it wouldn't be for a cause because I that's I I believe in not doing anything about it in real life, not just not doing anything about it by posting it on on Facebook. Yeah, I think I'm mostly against the idea of this sort of slacktivism of the people who are like, yeah, I'm doing something because. I, you know, posted this meme on my wall or something like that. And so I think it's fine if you want to do that. But I do believe that I'm against, one, the idea that you're doing something monumental because you've done that. And two, as what comes up in this episode, the idea of shaming the person who does not do that. So I think that we also like falsely end up oh, everybody changed their Facebook picture after X happened. Why didn't you? Where is your ribbon? Why haven't you changed your picture? What are you against this thing that happened? That Are you supporting the thing that happened? So why haven't you changed your thing? So I do sympathize with Kramer here in this episode. Yeah, it, and that definitely holds up also. I will say like Kramer was committed to doing something about AIDS in his mind, although we don't see him like actually doing something like, <laughs> helping out with research, right? Or helping right. at an AIDS clinic. Like, he just says, hey, you know, that's not for me. So, but maybe that's part of the joke. Yeah. That he's actually doing nothing and, and you know, just doesn't want to wear the ribbon. He's barely doing something. He is going to participate in the AIDS walk. He asks Jerry and Elaine to sponsor him in the AIDS walk. Yet, when it's time to do the AIDS walk, he doesn't take it very seriously and stays up all night the night before playing poker and doesn't really seem like he's not taking his poker winnings and donating it to AIDS research. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. He's sort of like saying, hey, I'm doing something, but he doesn't really want to conform to the rules of the people that are running the AIDS walk. Yeah. So he's really no better than them, except he refused to wear the rib. <laughs> right. All right. So we have that Elaine is commenting on Jerry's jeans, a size 31 waist. This is going to be a big plot line in this episode that Jerry wears size 31 jeans, uh, supposedly, but actually he wears size 32 jeans, which he scratches out and writes a 31 on them. Akiva, is this the thing that makes you believe that Jerry is Potentially the most insane person in the group. I mean, it's such a crazy thing to do, but it's also really funny. It is funny, but what would be the difference from 31 to 32? I feel like 31 is like, and I say this as someone who's like, prays every day to fit into 36. <laughs> the, like, the um, 31, I feel like sounds really skinny. Also, one is like a skinny number, right? I guess so. There's something to it. But why not a 30 then? Why does it not change the two to a zero? I feel like that would be easier. Yeah. Maybe 30 is just so unrealistic. Like 30 is very thin. Yeah. So I don't know necessarily. I mean, I think you look skinny in either a 31 or a 32. So I'm not sure exactly what Jerry is gaining by going from 32 to 31. I do think that these uh, very skinny, tight jeans 
uh, would be even more impressive here in 2016 for Jerry. Uh, more impressive in what way? That skin. You want to have uh, these uh, skinny. Oh, it would be. Jeans. It would impress people. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You go tighter now for well, sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean that you have like uh, you, know, you see these jeans where you know it's like uh, I say, what's the point for for me? At this, uh, for to you know, to like, why would I want to wear a pair of pants like that? Right, but also Seinfeld misses the baggy jeans craze by like ten minutes. Yeah, <laughs> like the whole baggy jeans thing happens the minute Seinfeld ends. Yeah, so we're back on to the tight jeans, and then probably by the time that we're done with our Seinfeld run, we'll probably be back to baggy jeans. We're back, baby. You think baggy jeans are going to come back? Everything soon? That's, goes. That's if, if something goes away, then it comes back. Then it comes back. It's the same stuff. You know, we've got like, you know, three more times around with all of this for each of us. Oh, what a depressing. What is the, I mean, it's correct. But what a depressing idea. Yeah, we've still got three more baggy jeans eras, you know, before we kick the bucket. Hopefully, I think I'm just going to walk into an alligator's mouth here. <laughs> all right. So we have where Jerry is trying to get a woman's phone number. That woman happens to have been a donor on this AIDS charity list. It's a weird list that Kramer has. So this woman's number is on there. She is donating to somebody, but not Kramer. How does Kramer have some sort of a clipboard that has other people's phone numbers that aren't donating to him? Yeah, they definitely spent zero seconds talking about this in the writer's room because there's 20 problems with the clipboard, right? What are Jerry and Elaine signing? Are they committing to giving money? Because they didn't give Kramer any money, mm-hmm. but he said, sponsor me. Yeah. What does that mean, sponsoring? I feel like with these AIDS walks and things like that, it's sort of like you're sponsoring like a quarter of a mile or something like that. Right, where- but how do they do it? Usually you have to like give money or give your credit card number. They didn't do any of that. Yeah, I don't know if it necessarily was working with a credit card at that time. I wonder if after the fact, Kramer had to go back to the clipboard and then say, okay, Jerry, you said oh, okay. you know, 25 cents a mile. So I, you know, the walk was 20 miles. So you owe me, right. uh, you know, don't ask me to do math on the fly. How long the do you podcast. think the, the walk was? Because mm. it seemed not very long. Jerry's like one of the main plot points of the episode is Jerry's super nervous that Kramer won't complete this walk. This walk is got to be like three miles max. Yeah. It's weird. And to me, I really don't like how close in the episode order this sits to the uh, episode with the New York Marathon a couple of weeks ago. So I feel yeah. like that we're really just right on top of that. Like within, within like a month of we have a big AIDS walk and also the New York Marathon happening in the same episode cycle. Yeah. Should it be an AIDS run <laughs> to like make it? No, I'm saying not not to make it closer or less close to the marathon, but to like buy in that Kramer is. Like, like, cause anyone could do a walk. You could be hung over and walk even if right, it's a few right. It was unbelievable that Kramer was going to not be physically fit enough to get through an AIDS walk where he is not racing against other people. Right. Right. Not a race. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they never mentioned the distance, which would also make sense. It's like, oh, it's a 10 mile walk. You better get some sleep. Yeah. Uh, that's only four episodes ago where we were talking about the hot tub back from uh, October 19th, 1995. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it didn't totally bother me, but I get your point. Yeah. All right. So Jerry gets this woman's phone number who is also donating to the cause. Jerry has been looking for her number, but she has this unlisted number. That's a big plot point in this episode. Uh, why does uh, the woman that Jerry is trying to date have an unlisted number? Yeah, it's it's not mentioned. It's just a point of convenience for the episode. Um, they, I guess they could have come up with some reason. 
Okay. We don't know anything about her, right? We don't know we don't know what her profession is. No, she's just a very giving person. Jerry says what he's going to do when she asks, How did you get my number? He's gonna say that he just came from buying a speedboat. And then uh, Elaine falls hook, line, and sinker for the speedboat gag. Uh, do you think that this works, Akiva? Do you have a go-to sort of exciting story that you can change the subject? I, first of all, I love the speedboat story because if someone told me they were buying a boat, I'd ask eight follow-up questions. Mm-hmm. You know, how much did it cost? Do you realize you're never going to use it once? It's going to sit in your driveway. Right. You'd be better off going back to the unlisted phone number. Right. I, by <laughs> the way, so I was thinking the reason why her number's unlisted, maybe it's because she's dealing with all these shut-ins. She doesn't mm. want them finding her number. Oh, that's a great point. There's like some sort of like procedural drama that you could build around her life where she's doing like all these uh, sort of casework with different people. Lunatic. Yeah. And and she's not a social worker, right? This is just her like hobby of volunteerism, not her job, right? Yeah, I think so. I don't think that that's her job. I don't think we get what her actual job is unless she's like on the board of some of these foundations. Mm, that might human be human. But I feel like the board people, they're not the ones doing the nitty gritty work at the soup kitchen at 6 a.m. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, also, uh, we get to the subject of Elaine has a new boyfriend and Jerry, I do feel like that, you know, very forward, the relationship between Jerry and Elaine is, you know, is very absurd. I, I wonder if there are, maybe somebody could let us know, are there any platonic friendships that are like this where a heterosexual man it just uh, blankly asks heterosexual woman, uh, so new guy, how's the sex? Right, and you're both in a relationship. Yeah, right. If you have this relationship, write in, let us know, and also write in a few weeks later when you get divorced. Yeah, let us know about what's going on there. So how's the sexual chemistry? Uh, Elaine hasn't been in the lab, and she needs to go birth control shopping today, which I also feel like is really odd that she puts that out there in terms of, um, you know, we ha- I haven't been in the lab yet. That's fine. She could kind of leave it at that. I don't know why she needs to volunteer. She needs to go birth control shopping as well. Yeah, although she does regret it once Kramer starts <laughs> asking follow-up questions. Sure. Uh, Kramer asks Elaine if she's on the pill. Uh, he wants to talk about birth control in an open forum. Elaine volunteers. She's on the sponge, the Today Sponge, which Kramer knows has been taken off the market, which is a surprise to Elaine. I like to think it's called the Today Sponge because there's just like a big picture of Al Roker on the sponge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Al Roker, I think, was just sort of like uh, cutting his teeth on the Today Show around the time that this episode came on. All right, Keith, uh, what do you know about the Today Sponge? Oh, I don't know about any sponge. Yesterday, today, tomorrow's sponge. I, I Nothing about the sponge. Yeah. You don't even know about the kitchen sponge. No, I, I, I do the dishes in my house. Oh, yes. sponge right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I really did not know a lot about that. I did do some research about it uh, to get ready for this podcast. Really? Hopefully on incognito. <laughs> Why? Why? What am I worried about? I just any any search like that. Yeah, I guess nothing. I guess no one cares what you're up to. No, nobody. Listen, cares. but what if what if you like slip in the tub and, and like hit your head tonight? And then, like, someone's going to go through your old emails and be like, oh, the last thing you Googled was birth control sponge. (laughs) And no one's going to be like, oh, that must be for the Seinfeld episode. They're going to be like, hmm, this guy had a lot of skeletons in his closet. Really? You don't think that Sherlock Holmes is going to be able to put that puzzle together? That the the only thing people know about with the sponge is that it's from Seinfeld. I mean, it's not like that, you know, there'd be any other reason anybody would Google the sponge. I mean, who is this Sherlock Holmes? Your (laughs) wife? Like, she's going to know that? 
I, I don't know if she knows anything about the sponge or Seinfeld, so I'm not sure necessarily. Right. Yeah. You might be in bad shape if that happens. Right. I mean, you'll be gone. So it's not Again, that you're assuming that you. she's interested enough to uh, like uh, try to put the pieces together in terms of uh, what what was the last thing I was Googling before I fell down the stairs. Someone tweeted yesterday. and I, I, I missed who it was, but like that they should have some sort of like chip in your head that if you if you like die suddenly. Uh, it like deletes all of your like internet activity forever. <laughs> yeah, where's the Kickstarter on that? Yeah, I would I would actually would be the first Kickstarter I ever contributed to. Yeah, just like uh, all of your computers just explode. Immediately. It's a really good idea. Yeah, or like or you have uh, so I guess you could do it without technology. Like you have some sort of uh, uh, what's the what's the person who's in charge of the will? Y- your lawyer, your executor. Yeah, is that? Is that what? Yeah, yeah, the will guy. Yeah, I believe maybe it's an executor. Maybe it's not pronounced uh, executor. Yeah, 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 executor. Yes, yeah. I knew it didn't sound. That's the person you right. deal with before you die. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. The, the executor. That's a uh, god who kills you. <laughs> and then, and no, no, the executor of your will. Uh, yeah, like he's in charge of all your passwords and stuff, and it has to be someone you trust. And they're like, okay, no one's allowed to see him. Yeah. So it turns out with the sponge what happened was that there were some upgrades that needed to be made at the plant that made the sponge and they just decided that the upgrades were too expensive and so they just decided ah eh, let's just go out of business yeah never has a product so beloved been canceled before i just don't know how beloved the sponge was that it seems like we might have like a false memory of this because elaine liked it so much I don't know how beloved the sponge was in 1995. I mean, listen, we only know two women in the Seinfeld world who were still of age, uh, right? And both of them are obsessed with the sponge. Yeah. Well, let me just also put in a uh, fairly stern disclaimer here at this point. This podcast is probably going to be a lot of two idiots that know almost nothing about uh, women's health issues, discussing contraception in uh, somewhat of an open forum, and uh, the, our limited knowledge of both uh, contraceptive methods and women will probably come to light a great deal in this episode. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Yeah, I, first of all, you said almost nothing that we know, <laughs> which I would I would just take out the almost. Yes. You could commit to the nothing. Yes. And second of all, uh yeah, but I would I would argue much like the Seinfeld writers room. We know nothing about women. Mm-hmm. Sure, like sure. it's not like we're analyzing the work of a bunch of bros. Although I feel like that at least the Seinfeld writers room, there were other women there in the room that they could have asked. But, but again, to. like they say, they're not writing it. it. You know, we call it the room, but that's like there was no writers room on Seinfeld. Like Melman himself said, right? Mm-hmm. That they were sort of all like hanging out outside Jerry's office, pitching him ideas. Yeah. So if Melman writes this episode. It's not like, you know, uh, uh, you know, Mandel gets a crack at it and Leifer slash Leifer gets a crack at it. It just goes from Melman straight to Larry and Jerry. And yeah. maybe uh, maybe corporate, you know, the, the, the suits have a couple, uh, you know, comments on it. But th- it's possible that this touched no women's hands this episode. <laughs> I was actually surprised how much uh, contraception talk is in this episode. I sort of forgot. I sort of knew, uh, you know, sponges, sponge worthy. Uh, but then we do get a lot into uh, the uh, prophylactics later on in the episode. Yeah, there is a there's a lot. I'm I, like I'm part of me was a little surprised it wasn't too racy for NBC. Not that there's anything 
like real one particular line that's like really over the top. Yes. But, uh, you know, you're, you're always a little bit surprised with what they got away with in 1995. OK. All right. So we see Jerry back in his apartment. He's on the phone with Lena, the woman uh, who is on the AIDS charity list. And just as he drew it up, he says to her that, oh, how did I get your number? How about that speedboat? Boom. Mission accomplished. Yeah. No, he gets there. He gets there. All right. So we see George and Susan in the car and they're driving along. And Susan, again, is very taken with Jerry and his jeans. Now, I feel like the jeans either look good or don't. I I don't really think that there's too much of people inspecting the number on the back of the jeans. Is that a thing? No. Right. I forgot that like the jeans had or still have. I don't even pay attention. The big number, whereas your regular pants, it's on the inside of the back of the pant. No one would see it, right? Mm-hmm. That is weird that it just says your jean size on the back. Why is that? Yeah. And also the inseam. It's like, you know, 32, 30 and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a lot of info you're giving out on the back <laughs> of your pants. Yeah. <laughs> you may as well walk around with your height and your weight, just like your all your vital stats, like on your on your shirt. Do they still do that? I've got to go find a pair of jeans and see. I, like, I know it, in the store it has that, but I'm not sure if it still has it on the outside. Yeah, I, I haven't I haven't even thought about it. It's a good question. I've never noticed it. Yes. So George lets the cat out of the bag and says, oh, you think that those jeans are so great? He takes that 32, scratches it off and put a 31. And so Susan can't believe it. And uh, he says, well, don't say anything. Jerry doesn't want anybody to know. Susan argues, of course, that everybody knows you have to tell your secrets to your fiance, Keeve. Is this mm. the, officially the rule? I'd say fiance, yes, wife, no longer. Okay. Oh, yeah. good. <laughs> good. I like that spin on it. I, yeah, no, fiance. Um, Everything's new. It's the same thing. Yeah, no, I, you, you're still trying to like buy confidence. No, I, I think that you do. I will say you can like score major points with your wife by telling her some dumb secret about your friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Susan loves it. Yeah, yeah. You'll definitely like it's no harm off your back. You're just telling them something like stupid or funny or embarrassing that your friend did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then you also have to like make it seem like, oh, like I'm I'm totally not like that guy who did that thing. Oh, like, if you go home and be like, hey, I just, you know, you know who's cheating on their girlfriend? Right. You no, know? you couldn't even say that. Right. Well, you could if you did. You'd get major points from your wife because you're like, oh, yeah, I'd never, you know. No, but that at- opens a whole can of worms of, oh, I don't want you being friends with that person anymore. Yeah, that is problematic. But yeah. or it's like, I'm going to go tell the girlfriend because I'm friendly with her. Right, right. So, but think- it will, but, but it does make you look anything you could say, like, you know, he, uh, you know, it, like he doesn't help his wife do anything. Mm-hmm. That'll, you know, anything bad about someone else as a husband will make you look better to your wife. Yeah, no, that's, but that's not even like a secret, that thing. But, you know, that some there must be something that, you, you know, a harmless secret, I think, like George gives to Susan here is a good thing. Yeah. So Susan it gets upset. Like, what do you mean you don't tell me everything? You're keeping secrets just like your bank code. And George says, no, that's totally different. That's my secret. This is Jerry's secret. So George seems very much that he wants to keep things secret from Susan he does come around later on in the episode and, and really just sort of like miraculously, like nothing changes his opinion. Um, yeah, I, I, George is the last person anyone should be telling any secret to. And it's <laughs> insane that Jerry's still making this mistake in season seven. <laughs> OK, so when George gets to Jerry's apartment, he says that he got into a fight with Susan and he doesn't come clean about what they were fighting about with Jerry's jeans. And so Jerry uh, talks about how he got a date with Lena 
And George asks about how did you meet her? And so he gets a step away from divulging the whole thing about the phone number. And then in his head, he sort of plays out the exact scenario, which is going to happen later on in the episode, which I think is funny. But now all of a sudden, without any sort of prompting, Jerry feels like, oh, I can't tell George secrets because he's engaged. Yet George has been engaged this entire season of the show. So why today? Are there other things that Jerry tells George in season seven that if he felt this way, he should not have told him? I mean, we'd have to sort of retroactively track it. But I can't think off the top of my head of like some major secret that goes to George in the last few episodes. Well, the thing is, in most of season seven, Jerry has nothing to do. That's sort of like uh, what we've been saying. He's got no secrets to keep. His only secret would be like, I'm underused on the show and I really want more lines. Is that what it is? I don't think Jerry cares about how many lines he gets. No, I don't think so either. Yeah. And he thing if the show's doing great, he's the person that's really like uh, yeah. participating the most. And also, he's uh, you know it, we're we're mixing up uh, fake you know real Jerry Seinfeld with TV character Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah, he tells George his ATM pin code in the secret code. No, yeah, issue but that's there. that's not like why would that's not a juicy gossip secret that George is going to spill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't know if there's uh, too many other secrets that Jerry is holding in terms of uh, you know getting. Uh, Jean-Paul Jean-Paul ready for the race or anything like that so perhaps uh, this does hold this is the first time he has a good secret to tell George in season 7 so George wants a double date he just had a fight he needs that group dynamic is that a thing Keeve after a fight you want a group dynamic yeah you don't want to be alone because you're afraid of being yelled at Yes, yes. I actually find uh, when I do a podcast with my wife, that's uh, sort of like similar, like replicates a group dynamic. Yeah, because there's only certain like she the only thing is she knows she could probably launch off at you and like she'll just know that you'll delete it from the show. Probably. Right, right, right. If it's really bad. It's sort of like a simulated group dynamic in that the the conversation is being recorded. She doesn't want to like really go off on me where other people are going to hear it. Right. So that's like that's your version of having friends. Yes, that's my version of having friends. Exactly. So then we get to where Elaine is going to uh, come in and she says, guess what? Her friend told her the sponge is off the market and she begins a 25 block radius search to track down more sponges. Yeah, she clears out the Upper West. I'm sure Chester could give you a whole breakdown of how far she traveled. (laughs) So this is a real point of contention for me in this episode. So Elaine says women are really loyal to their birth control methods when George is asking about uh, what she's going to do. She wants to know, what does Susan use? And he says, I don't know. He doesn't know. He figures it's something. How implausible is this to you, Keeve? Just the fact that it would never come up is very implausible. The fact that he physically doesn't know seems very, very unlikely to impossible. So you feel like he's lying? He clearly is not because he's not lying. He's not lying. Later on in the episode, him and Susan go to the drugstore and she says, oh, could you just run in? And she's like, you don't know what I use. Yeah, I don't think he's lying. I just I mean, I guess there's there are methods where it would be uh, uh, immediately obvious and methods where it wouldn't be. Yeah. So but you would think it would come up in terms of like, hey, you know, in at the end of this (laughs) of this ride, there's going to be. So there's something that's going to happen. What are we doing about it? You think that they would know either they would have that conversation or things would eventually sort themselves out. I would also argue, and I'm not sure uh, George has the mental, you know, wherewithal to realize this. But to me, 
Susan is so unstable right now that she seems like the type of person just to let it all go. And you might have, you know, baby Costanza coming soon. Well, you would think that George, who doesn't even want to be marrying Susan, would not be just sort of throwing caution to the wind here and just presuming that Susan is on some sort of a birth control. Unless the, the, the conversation between George and Susan is like, hey, uh, you're using birth control, right? Like, yeah, okay, enough about that. Right, yeah, that might be how the conversation went. Um, he's not even curious about this. He's not curious. Yeah, but you would think- Or maybe, maybe it's just happening so, like, he, he, he protests so much, right? Uh, George says, uh, you know, oh, we've done that millions of, when he gets to Elaine's house, right? We've done that millions of times, mm-hmm. but, we've, but not, not in the makeup version. And it's like, maybe he's lying. Maybe they almost, maybe they're like practically abstinent. Yeah. And that's how he doesn't know. Is that possible? <sighs> no. Like this happens and it's like, she didn't have any sponges. It hasn't even been a thought recently. You know, maybe. I don't think uh, that may- they're practically abstinent because it seems like Susan is almost begging George later on in the coffee shop where she's like, George, come on. Can't you just wear the condom? And he's like, yeah, because and he- it ha- because it hasn't happened in months. That's why she's begging. Well, I think that, you know, the uh, person in the desert isn't going to say like, oh, well, you know, that water is, uh, you know, not uh, ice cold. I think you sort of take what you can get. No, Wait, who just who just remind me who is in the uh, who is in the desert here? Elaine, I mean, George or Susan? I'm confused. <laughs> I feel like if you're saying that there's a practically abstinent. I mean, technically, I think they're probably both in the desert. But George, you would think, is not wouldn't be so picky. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, he's not. Is George being picky? Well, when she says to him later on in the episode, can't you wear the condom? He refuses. Right. I guess that's being picky. Yeah. Unless he has that. I mean, he has he has other concerns, I guess, about the condom. But still. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, A little ticky tack uh, to me. But it is almost completely incredulous that he would not know what Susan is doing unless he could be so uninterested. But the fact that, I mean, this is not a married relationship where it's like, Hey, if we have a kid, we have a kid. So what? I mean, you think that George would be very much incentivized for Susan to not get pregnant. Right. I, yeah. I, I mean, obviously I, I was, I was, I just thought of something very morbid, but I won't say it because mm-hmm. yeah. even though it's about a pretend character, but I feel like you could see where I'm going. But I think that, yeah, I, 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 you know, just let, let's just be happy that Susan did not become pregnant. Yeah, uh, we know that. I mean, George is physically able to wear the uh, defective condom that he gets back in the fix up. Yeah. So it's not like that. He is like uh, that. That It's automatically a deal breaker. I, but all, like his problem isn't like it's right. It's not a deal breaker. It's just that he uh, he has a bad relationship with the rappers. And I, I feel like. He needs he needs them to be able to rip, be ripped open very quickly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they can't have a scissor nearby. Yeah, I guess. I mean, get a chainsaw. Like, what's the what's the big deal? George? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, so that uh, George doesn't know what Susan is using. Uh, Elaine is going to uh, go out and begin her search. Also, Kramer is uh, showing up at Jerry's apartment. He had to walk up the stairs and he's completely gassed. And Jerry says he's in no shape to go on this AIDS walk. Yes, this two mile walk will be too much for this, you know, in good shape person tomorrow. Right. All right. So Elaine in the montage, uh, one of the pharmacists played by Peter Melman. Oh, really? Yeah. 
I believe he's the first one that she deals with. I, you know, I, I, I missed that. Wait, did you get that in the notes about nothing? Yes, yes. Oh, you, you're getting some gems this season from the notes, notes about nothing. I got to start watching them. Okay, well, you should watch them on the second time around through the order. You should watch yeah, I'll watch them, them next. I'll watch them in, in oh no, am I going to be in Florida in uh, baggy jeans? Yeah. <laughs> We're wearing baggy jeans, not in Florida <laughs> in the summer, hopefully, but I'll have brought them like I brought my jeans here, even though I'm never going to wear them. In summer 2020, our second go through the order. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. No, right. I mean, if, the thing about Florida, like, this is my wife's house. I can't imagine, like, you know, she won't have kicked me out by 2020. So I'll probably <laughs> be back in New York or something. When you tell her you're going through the order again. Oh, I mean, the day that happens, it's I'm getting my bags thrown out the window, <laughs> movie style. <laughs> so Elaine finds a place that just has a case that has come in. Uh, and she begins sort of like bidding against herself uh, with how much she needs, uh, 3, 10, 20, 25. Ultimately, she's just going to take the whole case and be on her way. That's a really great scene. Yeah. So Elaine is now having a case, 60 sponges. Yeah, I think that's a perfect, like comedically, it's a good number, I feel like, for this episode. Because if you have more, it's like, okay, they're disposable. And less is like, you know, you almost can't, can't uh waste one on this irrelevant character billy okay now keeve do you mm-hmm. hazard to guess how long of a supply is 60 sponges for elaine oh it really it's something i've spent much time to you know think about over the years honestly good um that's such a good question i feel like if we had one if we ever got julia on the podcast i feel like it's the first question you probably don't lead with it but it's the most it's the key question ask julia did how elaine, long did 60 i here's what i think assuming that she never finds another sponge for the per, which i she probably does but for the purpose of our the black market experiment yeah for the purpose of our Free experiment world, or like though. yeah the internet is about to come around then there's probably sponges you know you could probably get one today even yeah you know, people have a them literal like a today's item. sponge. Yeah. Yes, literally a today's sponge. Um, <laughs> still with Al Roker's face. I think, you know, Putty comes along. She gets she's in a serious relationship. I, I, you know, if she's still let's say she's only she can only use the sponge for any in, uh, interaction. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're lasting her more than a year. Yeah. Now, I wonder, could Elaine also use the sponge in conjunction with some sort of a rhythm type method where could she go uh, sponge less at a time when uh, the risk of pregnancy would be mm. minimal. So to me, um, I, I, I like for our purposes, I feel like we have to say that she has to use it every time. To, every to, time. Yeah. To guess, to guesstimate how long it's going to take. Yes. Uh, but in real life, would Elaine sort of try and stretch them out a little bit? Right. That's possible. I mean, she is screening people even more uh, in terms of uh, using the sponge. Now, also, the sponge is uh, just to give a little bit of a background. We don't need to go too far down into uh, I'm not going to that. We don't need to uh, get too far into the instruction manual of the uh, today's sponge. But the sponge uh, is uh, really a, a uh, it's a sort of a part spermicide, part diaphragm, but it doesn't do anything to prevent the transmission of sexually transmitted diseases. So in these uh, casual hookups that Elaine is having, she's also living a bit dangerously. Well, it's not to say that he's not using protection. Also, the man. Well, then, then 
Why are we dealing with the sponge? I guess she just want you know it. it she likes. I guess no, two that lines is, of defense. That, Keith, <laughs> you. This is uh, now. This is total science fiction. That that where Elaine is just uh, having that the guy is uh, wearing protection and then she is also using the sponge. I mean, she's like screening people at the, like, and that's why this guy that she talks to in this episode. I don't know why he doesn't say, "Hey." I'll just wear protection. Let's not worry about this. Let's see. Yeah, but why isn't he process. saying that? There has to be a reason There's why no he's reason. not saying that. I don't know why. Maybe he's allergic to latex. Uh, that, I think there are <laughs> alternatives here. Yeah, but in 1995, were there? I'm not sure. So you yeah. think that this guy had some sort of a latex allergy? I mean, there's a lot of latex stuff on Seinfeld. I feel like it would have come up if he had. Yeah, you would problem. think that some sort of like importer exporter like yeah, Art Vandalay right. would have been yeah. able to help this guy. He would have sued the Vandalay Industries. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It's such a good question. Again, I, you know, I, there there must have been forty things that we've each said that have like you know absolutely made people go insane already with how wrong they were. Also, like we're people who've had like five kids recently, so that's not like a subject that we're really experts in. Maybe, yeah, but I think um, we know how it works. I think we yeah, know. I guess, I guess. sort of like the baseline <laughs> principles. Yeah, the, the, ostensibly. Um, <laughs> but you can't tell me that Elaine was having the uh her suitor also be uh wearing a uh you know prote- protective prophylactic device and then also be uh doubling down on the sponge right but when why why doesn't it come up then like I why don't doesn't Philly just I, say I, I, oh, yeah we have to get, we need peter melman back on the podcast yeah that's true tomorrow yes <laughs> I, I i didn't think we had so many questions for melman it's like a very straightforward episode i had thought yeah, but you're right. Now, now, really, we're just tearing holes in this thing left and right. Well, hopefully yeah, not. Like yeah, easy with that. <laughs> yep. So now it may be that in 1995, and this is what maybe that you and I may not be aware of. Was there more of a stigma in terms of a uh, a condom in terms of the people that wear them? Uh, George tells Susan in this episode, the day that we got in a relationship was the day. That I stopped, you know, vowed to never wear them. Is was there sort of a, um, you know, those were only for certain types of people, and that the condom awareness has reached a point where in twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen, even from you know, you know, probably uh, like you know, ten years after the filming of this episode, when I might have even uh, required one, that right. maybe I'm there was shocked less the of a sixteen year old Rob couldn't have answered this question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <What> the, <laughs> so i don't know what was there more of a stigma to were they less popular in 1995 yeah i guess if someone's like slightly older than us or cooler than us <laughs> yes uh, i then. believe austin powers uh sometime around uh, this time frame uh <laughs> within a few years from the filming of this episode is asked about that and uh he says that those they're just for uh filthy sailors who go from port to port yeah, but isn't Austin Powers not set in the 90s, actually? <laughs> yes, yes. Isn't sure. it set in the 60s or something? <laughs> He's from the 60s, yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, so, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I just think that they're either either this guy that Elaine is seeing has some sort of a condition like George, or there maybe there's more of a stigma than we realize in terms of the, the 1995 of it all. Yeah, I feel like we've hit a crossroads. We need to, maybe some a smart listener can uh, help us out for next week. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully. All right. So we see the double date in the restaurant and Jerry uh, is talking about uh, like uh, he has a uh, a good smelling detergent for his shirt uh, and which sort of like gets into uh, 
Lena talking about how she uses all Tempa cheer, or I'm sorry, she uses Planet, the biodegradable, doesn't pollute the oceans detergent. I think that George comes off uh, kind of an oaf uh, talking about how, yeah, like the oceans are getting very sudsy, uh, sort of like uh, poo-pooing the environmental detergent. But uh, Lena also very ahead of her time, Keith. In what way? That uh, the environmentally friendly... Uh, yeah. citizen of 1995 that she's uh, yeah. oh, ahead. Now, nowadays she'd be a vegan and she'd tell you about it on uh, like five <laughs> minutes into the first sure <laughs> sure so she's very much ahead of the curve here in 95 so she also volunteers at the soup kitchen uh, which she'd probably also be posting about quite a bit on social media mm-hmm. and so uh, Jerry wants to do the bums complain about how uh, they have to eat soup all the time first of all Jerry just drops the b word there <laughs> the bum you can't just you don't call them bums nowadays First of all, isn't it like families also? Hmm. Are like it's homeless people. You can't just call them bums in 2016. <laughs> that's like that. That would they that would actually not even air. Yeah, you wouldn't have your main. That's like I, you know you don't you sort of don't notice it, but like right, nobody would say bums anymore. It's, I think it's so you could outdated. get away with it. I don't think you cannot get away with saying there. bums. There, the bum lobby is just nobody's saying bums anymore. Mm. You can a, a single person on the street. You know, asking for money for a beer is still a bum. That's fine. Yeah, but, but think- the pe- the the collective group of people at a soup kitchen at six a.m. those aren't bums. Like that's probably like a mom and some kids and you know people who just lost their house because of some prime subprime mortgage or something. Like that's not. I don't know if that's just a bunch of bums. Yeah, I think you're being a little overly sensitive about the <laughs> the bum thing. I mean, I think Listen. that we've probably, you know, talked about a lot of sacred cows across the yeah. time that we've done this show. But I feel like yeah. that this uh, bum criticism seems uh, yeah. a, a little bit precious to me. Um, yeah, I feel like you're just anti-bum. <laughs> the term or... No, you're pro-term bum and anti-the actual bum. Of course, course I'm anti-homeless. That, uh, that I don't know who would be pro-homeless. So you want to eradicate homelessness or I or want to else? eradicate the condition of homelessness. Got it. Got it. <laughs> yeah. And how does how does calling them bums help eradicate the condition? Uh, I don't know. I think <laughs> <laughs> brings awareness to it uh, okay. because if you make it sound like a good thing, sort of like, uh, you know, um, you know, home challenged Americans, it makes it sure. sound like, oh, it's not that bad. Not that bad. Yeah. You know, I read a fascinating article um I want to say it was in the Times of the Washington Post. It was super long about a homeless guy. Uh, but six months ago, and it was really interesting. Like he has some sort of minor uh, from some injury. He gets like a settlement every month. So let's say he gets like 800 bucks, which is not enough to live in. So he's homeless. He doesn't have a house. But like it's enough that he has like some money to buy food every month. Yeah. And one one of the things I found interesting was like he spends 10 or 15 dollars a month, whatever it is on Netflix. And he and he bought a laptop and he just like sits in the um like the library all day watching. Oh, no, he doesn't have a laptop. I think he watches it on his phone and he watches um he watches shows on his phone at movies, shows and movies like Netflix on his phone at the library all day. He can't work. That's part of the reason he has the settlement. But it was mm-hmm. just like super interesting thing like, uh, you know, a homeless person with Netflix. Yeah, it uh, does maybe. seem like a dream come true. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I meant. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, depending on the climate, yeah. Sh- sure, right. He was in New York. He would go shower at some like friend's house in Brooklyn. It was a fascinating article, honestly. Yeah. Um, you know, me and you I, are sitting here, even though we've been podcasting Seinfeld for the last uh, three and a half years. That like, mm-hmm. uh, oh, have you seen BoJack Horseman season three? Like, oh, I haven't had the time. 
Uh, but, you know, the uh, home deprived uh, guy with the Netflix at the library, he's seen it. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's binge Bojack backwards and forwards. He could yeah. probably, yeah, yeah. I mean, right. I'm sitting here waiting on Mr. Robot. I haven't even started it yet. <laughs> oh, he's done. <laughs> that guy, that guy is pounding Mr. Robot. Yeah. All right. So Jerry gets into talking about um, they serve soup at 6 a.m. in the morning. Uh, do they ever get uh, complaints about soup again? Now, is Soup Kitchen a misnomer? Are they always yeah. serving soup? I don't think they're ever serving soup anymore. I feel like this is I don't know why no anyone just doesn't, you. I don't know why anyone doesn't call Jerry on this. Like, yes, a soup might be like a staple that they have a soup kitchen. But that's certainly not all they serve in a soup kitchen. Yeah. I, like, I don't know why why he would think that three times a day they have soup and that no one would call him out on that. Yeah. Like, obviously, and, no. And she doesn't come back and be like, by the way, they serve like soup for breakfast because it's hot and it's New York. But like they have, you know, chicken for lunch and they have, you know, uh, meatballs and spaghetti for dinner. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. And where's this line of questioning going? Because unless it ends with Jerry saying like, hey, you know, my friend Elaine just found an armoire with a bunch of recipes for soup <laughs> that I bet you guys could use. Then he's kind of a jerk, right? <laughs> yeah, I do think that would have been a funny aside if he's like, by the way, ask them if they ever need some new soup recipes. Elaine's got a million of them. Yeah. yeah people funny. people will want to be homeless yeah, <laughs> between the Netflix like and the soup. Yeah. <laughs> You'll love it. Netflix and the soup. This is for, I'd say for the last episode of this podcast so far, it's going well. (laughs) (laughs) And so I really do love this moment where uh, she asks, so you'll never guess who volunteered last week. And George, so confident, just yells out, Mick Jagger. (laughs) (laughs) It would be a good guess. I think even, I think even in 2016, like Mick Jagger would be a pretty solid guess. Solid guess. Uh, So no, Maya Angelou. And you would think that then they would have a bunch of questions about Maya Angelou. But it's almost like, no, that's sort of like the thing that, that Susan and Lena want to talk about. But then they want to go back to the soup. Wouldn't you have a bunch of questions about what Maya Angelou was doing there? Yeah, but I be- first of all, I believe that Maya Angelou would, would be, you know, if it, like who would be the most insane person for them to say? I mean, now would be insane because she's no longer with us. But like mm-hmm. then, uh, you know, like like Mick Jagger would be pretty crazy. But like some celebrity that like has a terrible rep, like Taylor Swift. Uh, you know, doing it without alerting the media. I think that would probably be the most shocking person. <laughs> uh, how dare you? How dare you? Uh, oh, are you be... pro Taylor Swift? I am. I am. I'm anti. Oh, because you hate the Kardashians. Yes. Yes. I, I, I am. I am pro T Swift. That's insane. First, I, I think it's because uh, it's your wife. It's insane that you're pro Kardashian. No, because your wife hates the Kardashians so no, much. No, no, but, like... but Akeev, stop, stop, yes. stop, stop. <laughs> you think I have any opinion? in the entire world because yeah. my wife I see I feels- would have said no but now I'm shocked because there's no rightful person like there's no correct person on earth who could be pro Taylor Swift who's How could you every, if every if single choice- thing Taylor Swift has ever done has been like with you know like wholly concerned with how she'll how she'll be portrayed in the media. That's fine. That's fine. But at least she has talent, which is more than I could say for the cause. So I I will side with talent over whatever ambulance chasing the Kardashians are doing. First of all, Kanye West is talented. Kanye, Kanye is a, talented, but he's, but he's insane. So yes. I, I almost feel like that. I that if you could isolate Kanye from the Kardashians, that's fine. I don't know how we got started talking about this, but I, but I am. By the way, if I was just thinking like, if I, it won't happen, but like if Kanye West and Taylor Swift were ever caught, like, like as a couple, like yeah. cheating on Kim Kardashian, that would be the, like the, the ultimate and final, like TMZ type story of all time, right? Yeah, cancel the election. It'd never at that be tough. Right. That would be it. Right. That would be bigger than the bigger than if that happened, 
the day of the election, which was like g- tied going into the election. Nobody would Clinton vote in Trump. I'm saying like it wouldn't the election would not like Donald Trump elected president would not even make the paper then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Our top story at this hour. Uh, day three of the Taylor Swift Kanye West uh, hookup uh, has been going on. All right. Uh, we'd have to cancel the podcast and just only talk about that. All right. But let, yeah. let's we're never okay. going to forget that. We're never going to get through this podcast if we don't okay. uh, get back to this. So. George says something completely bizarre. And again, uh, wa- really needing to move the plot forward here. He says, yeah, well, you didn't get to talk to Maya Angelou. Well, why don't you just look her up in the phone book? What does a poet need an unlisted number for? Yeah, that's a really weird thing to say without any knowledge of the phone book stuff. Right. I agree. I hadn't thought about it at the time. That's strange. I'll tell you what. I bet Maya Angelou did not have a listed phone number. I don't know how famous she was. It's a good. I think it's 50 50. It wouldn't like she's also a nice person. She helps the homeless like. Maybe she wouldn't mind. Like, how many phone calls, how many prank calls is Maya Angelou getting? I'm not sure. So Susan and Lena go to the bathroom and uh, Jerry pulls George aside. Why did you have to say the thing about the unlisted number for? Uh, It turns out that, yeah, I got her number from the AIDS walk list. And so cut to Susan in the car with George and George immediately has to spill this uh, juicy story to Susan. Uh, again, telling George a secret is insane. Uh, I mean, Jerry also has a big mouth, but that's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. And so Susan is so flattered and says, oh, you told me anyway. And so they're going to go home and make up back to the makeup sex, uh, which was talked about earlier this season. And so they have to go by the drugstore first because Susan also needs to go shopping for the contraception. Uh, there must have been uh, like all of a sudden, like just like a uh, immediate stop in production of the today's sponge. Seems like everybody had them until they didn't. Yeah, it's possible like that they stopped making them, but you know nobody knew. And then like Kramer read the story in the Wall Street Journal, but it already happened. Yeah. So like, how do you find out? Like, it's not like she would see it on Twitter, Elaine. Right? <laughs> she might not find out about it for a few months. At which point, they'd already stopped production, and that's why they're. You think Elaine follows the Today Sponge on Twitter? Like the 2016 version of Elaine? Why not? Sure, sure. I'm interested to know from our female listeners uh, how many of them follow the manufacturer <laughs> of their birth control products on Twitter. Go to like Tide Detergent, and I'm I'm sure you'll have like 12 of your Facebook friends follow tide detergent <laughs> tide detergent <laughs> yeah i'm just saying like people follow and interact with like random household products all the time <laughs> yeah i don't even know what the twitter handle is for uh for tide detergent yes i have multiple I, I just searched on facebook i have multiple facebook friends including a listener of this podcast a uh a friend of mine who a former friend of mine now that i find found that he follows tide detergent <laughs> <Facebook>. um <laughs> formerly my oldest friend um but yeah i have multiple facebook and they have like five million followers on on uh on facebook tide i don't know what they're doing but yeah whatever it is that you should you know we should get social media uh advice from tide Jeez, yeah i'm taking a look followers. at tide on <laughs> twitter and uh I, I do have 11 followers that i know uh who follow tide on twitter uh including uh former uh new england patriots uh linebacker lawyer malloy oh, he's a he safety right? tied he's on safety. twitter yeah he follows yeah tied. safety is uh, he is he in our fantasy league again yeah, this year yes <laughs> can we ask him at the draft why he follows tied on twitter yeah probably <laughs> so there you go 
All right. So uh, that Susan needs George to run into the store and she says, you don't know what I use, do you? And so uh, she just needs the sponge. And again, she does not seem incredulous about this, that she's not like, how do you not know? Um, yeah, yeah, I don't like it doesn't make any sense how he doesn't know. Mm-hmm. We as we've established. Yeah. Although, you know, I think then he can like, I don't even know if he knew that the sponge was a thing before that. I guess that he just assumed she was on some sort of birth control pill. Right. Okay. Yeah, he might. I, I like. There's no. I wouldn't put it past George not to have known that sponges existed in general. <laughs> okay. So George says, "No, the sponge is off the market. We need to use something else." And Susan is such as again so loyal to the sponge. She loves the sponge. She needs the sponge. So George feels like that they know. Uh, he knows where they can get one. He knows Elaine has a stockpile. He's going to go up to her place. Uh, Jerry comes home, sees a huge card game going on at Kramer's house. Again, anytime any of the core four is involved in some sort of a poker game, nobody else from the core four is invited to the game. That's true. There have been many poker. There's at least the third now, <laughs> and it's never been with at least two of them together. You're right. It's like, oh, what's going on? Everybody else is busy? Oh, okay. Uh, poker night with all my other friends that I have besides you guys. Right. To be fair, Kramer would know, like, who of the core four is showing up to hang out with Kramer's buddies in Kramer's <laughs> apartment and play poker? That's like, true. Is it, it's a waste of a question to ask Jerry if he's interested in this. Yeah. And so, you know, raucous time going on in Kramer's apartment. And Jerry seems very concerned about Kramer making it to the AIDS walk. Uh, although he does not seem as concerned as when uh, Jean-Paul Jean-Paul was going to run in the New York Marathon. Uh, no, but you're right. It's a similar sort of idea. OK, so then uh, we end up with uh, Elaine having an interview with Billy, her new boyfriend here, who uh, was some sort of like a former amateur baseball player, according to the notes about nothing. And so George uh, shows up and interrupts the interview and wants a sponge. Elaine cannot spare a sponge. This is a very awkward conversation to have, you know, to have with your female friend, right? Mm-hmm. Well, even more awkward or less awkward than, so how's the sexual chemistry? I think it's more. I think like she's about to use one and you're like, hey, I need one. She's like, nah, I need all 60. Yeah. I mean, it's probably more awkward for Billy, the guy who's sitting there. I mean, could you imagine you are on some sort of a uh, a date with a woman? You are back at her place. Some guy shows up and needs birth control. Yeah, I can't imagine anything weirder. <laughs> on a number of levels, I can't imagine being in this scenario. And so she says, no way, no how. And George says, hey, this is makeup sex here. You know about makeup sex. And Elaine says, oh, I know. Uh, but get out of here. No. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, she doesn't give him much of a chance here. Yeah, I like that. He, she says to him, I'm sure you'll have another fight, George. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good line. Okay. Uh, so we then go to Elaine. We follow her into the bathroom. She finds one of her sponges in the drawer. And then she considers... Should she use one of these 60 last sponges? Yes. To be or not to be. To be or not to be. Okay. So uh, now, Keeve, I need to talk through the timing of all of this here with mm. you. So in the next scene we see following a commercial break, Susan is on the phone talking with her friend. She says, don't tell anyone. Jerry Seinfeld, he got a woman's number from an AIDS walk list. Cut to that woman calling Lena about what? What's the problem? Okay, so the next morning, Jerry and Lena are at Jerry's apartment. She already knows. It's the morning now. So Susan mm-hmm. went immediately home from 
the uh okay there was no sponges they just come home she starts just calling people hey did you hear what jerry seinfeld did i think susan's calling while george is out at elaine's trying to get a sponge i thought she's in the car he oh, dropped yes, they, her off right you're right you're right you're right you're okay. right you're right so i don't know what happened back at the george and susan well we apartment. know nothing happens right, right because nothing he happened. doesn't get a sponge so that susan that night is then making all these phone calls and then it gets to lena and then it's i mean it's the morning of the aids walk so that then so that this all happens in the course of like i mean did she go right from the soup kitchen to jerry's house and then is mad about all this i guess this all happened so quick yeah i you know i didn't think about it but i, I mean i guess you know she just she goes straight from the soup kitchen, shows up at Jerry's house at like 8 a.m. Yeah. And is already like armed and ready to go with this. <laughs> and so she says, ah, but it's okay. But then why did she come over? Why did you have to come over and be like, what? Like, uh, that, uh, did you get my number off an AIDS walk list? And then he's like, yeah. All right. Well, I don't care. And she leaves, right? Yeah. And then she's just like, okay. I just wanted to see if that's what actually happened. I, I, it doesn't bother me. I mean, I guess it's interesting enough if she's in the neighborhood. Maybe the soup kitchen's only a few blocks away. I guess so. And so Kramer's poker game just ends. It was sort of like an up all night poker game. Kramer has all this money. He's talking about how, hey, breakfast is on me. And Jerry says, hey, you got the AIDS walk in like three hours. So what time is it? What t- right now? Yeah. What time is the I mean, We talked about this only a couple episodes ago with the New York Marathon. We said that was at 11 a.m. Yeah, but this- the AIDS walk is so short, it could be at two in the afternoon. No, the AIDS walk starts at two in December. I mean, it's going to be dark at four. I mean, it ends at it ends at two thirty. I mean, it's a short walk. How it, it can't be more than an hour. The whole walk. It's a walk, not a run. Yeah, I think it's a long walk, though. They don't say that. If it was really long, they would have said it can't it's a be short more than AIDS walk. It's a short AIDS walk. Let's see. Let me see. How, maybe we can find out some information on this. Uh, how long is an AIDS walk? I mean, is it sort of like a. Uh, Let's see. Uh, AIDS Walk of New York. It's 10 kilometers, 6.2 oh miles, God. and takes roughly two to three hours to complete. They can't start it at, yeah. at two. What if they started at one? I mean, started at one? I mean, why? What, what, is people, what are people doing all day? You could kill the whole day. So you want to start it at 9 a.m.? Yeah. At least you have the afternoon. I mean, most of the people on this walk are not going to work. Like Bob and Cedric, they, they do not have jobs. They just rob people on the it's street. It's a Sunday. Oh, it's a Sunday. I mean, you don't have a so walk So then who cares? Then start it. I mean, if you're Kramer, you could be in a walk. On a Don't you want to get home and watch a football game? I mean, is Kramer like sitting around every Sunday and watching football in 1995? <laughs> I don't the know. Three and 13 Jets. Is he running home to catch that? <laughs> I kind of feel like he's a Giants fan considering. He yeah. So the, the Giants Giant back game. then you had the Jets and the Giants. Jets playing at one. Giants at 415. You just have to be back in time for the Giants. <laughs> All right. So three hours away from the AIDS walk, you're, you're never going to make it. And he says, AIDS walk, that's a cake walk. And says uh, it's going to be no problem. Again, it does seem like it would be pretty, even if you were really hungover, you could probably walk uh, about, you know, six miles. Oh, yeah, no problem. People yeah. have, I'm sure, done the marathon while hungover. This okay. is nothing. So George comes in. He appears to have some sort of like a bag of bagels. And Jerry says, hey, guess what? That the woman, Lena, found out about the AIDS walk number from a friend of Susan's. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, George is caught red-handed here. He, even George Costanza doesn't try and lie his way out of this. Yeah. And so I do like that Jerry says to him, well, you know what this means, don't you? And George is like, what? And Jerry screams, you're cut off. You're out of the loop. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, you're cut off. I had no choice as far as uh, I'm concerned now. You're like the media. And he wants to know 
If you were in the mafia, would you tell her every time you killed someone? Yeah, hit is different. A hit is a different story. I like that. He's like, no, 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 no. hit is totally different. <laughs> All right. So uh, Jerry is feeling like, you know what? She didn't even care. She's too good. She cares about the welfare of others. He can't respect somebody who's too good. There's no depravity. You can't have sex with someone you admire. <laughs> not going to touch that one. NC, Eve. no yeah. comment, no yeah. comment. Okay. And so uh, then uh, he says, there's a funny transition where he says, uh, I look at her, I can't even imagine she has sex. Elaine walks in, he's like, on the other hand. And yeah, so, another great joke, great timing there. Yeah. Uh, so Elaine comes in and uh, George says, hey, thanks again for last night that you didn't give me one of those t- uh, sponges. And Elaine says, hey, I didn't even use one. I couldn't decide if he was sponge worthy. Uh, first appearance of uh sponge worthy on the show mm. yeah uh what do you think of this idea sponge worthy do you think that are you buying that elaine would feel this way yeah i i think this is a you know a very smart concept well why I not ultimately she's gonna give in but I, I do think it's you really if you only have 60 for the rest of uh you know eternity basically you have to you have to weigh every person with yeah. sponge worthiness but i feel like you have 60 you don't you can't even see the daylight of the end of the sponges. Why not? I mean, this guy, Billy, seems like a like a good enough candidate that uh, she really had to really screen this applicant even further. Yeah, I mean, 60. It sounds like a lot. But when you have a different guy every week, they can yeah. go real fast. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to tell you how long 60 sponges would last me, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say we'll be wearing baggy pants oh, two times from now. Oh, boy. 2038. <laughs> I have plenty of room in those pockets of my baggy jeans. You'll hold all 60 sponges. With cargo pockets. That'll be back. There was a uh, there was a New York Times article. Did you see that? Where uh, How about cargo shorts are ruining, are ruining relationships? Yeah, stop. Destroying it. families? Stop it. Stop it, everybody. We're being too picky on this stuff. So, like, Do you wear cargo shorts? I have a lot of stuff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have a lot of cargo. It's not for the aesthetics. Would you carry around like straight podcast mics in case the podcast breaks out when you leave that? Yeah. Yeah. You need okay. a lot. Of, I got a lot of stuff. All right. Uh, all right. So then uh, Jerry says, yeah, isn't this what the spongers are for? And Elaine says she's got to reevaluate her whole system. Uh, and uh, we go back to again. Is it the second week in a row that George says, uh, "You know, you're nuts with these sponges." George is getting frustrated. <laughs> yeah, yes, it was second straight week of a George calling himself George. <laughs> All right, so we see Kramer at the AIDS walk signing in. He doesn't want to wear the AIDS ribbon, and uh, people are getting upset. He calls the woman a ribbon bully. That is some loaded language, Keeve. Yes, is she a ribbon bully? I mean, they shouldn't even let him in. Like, if they're so strict about the ribbon. Why do you even let him in the race if he's not wearing the ribbon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you feel like, uh, is that an appropriate term, uh, a ribbon bully? It's appropriate, but I feel like, she, you know, it's their race. Like, if they have a rule, you know, Kramer could choose not to be in the race and, you know, support AIDS in other ways. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. you know, he's, Kramer's got no leg to stand on here. He should be wearing the ribbon. All right. So we go back to George and Susan. They are at Monk's. And uh, so uh, George is talking about Elaine and her sponges. She's got a war chest. And Susan doesn't know why George just can't wear a condom. Uh, And George says, no, condoms are for single men. The day we got engaged, I said goodbye to the condom forever. Yeah. But then he also says that he doesn't like him because he can't get the package, the wrapper open in time. Mm -hmm. And to me, like I always used to tell my students, not about condoms, but I used to always used to tell my students, if you have two excuses, you have no excuses. 
Yes. Like, yes. I want to hear somebody's grandma died. I don't want to hear, like, you know, th- like, uh, you know, I had a tummy ache and uh, my mom needed to, you know, me- needed me to watch my baby brother. Like, give me <laughs> one good excuse. Don't give me, like, two 50% excuses. Yeah, so, uh, I-, I mean, I feel like that the condom thing, I, th- I think it's more the second thing. I-, I mean, I think we see from the episode later on that uh, that he tries to pin it on that, hey, those are for single guys. But then we find out later, you know, shortly thereafter, he says he can never get the package open in time. Uh, he has a funny line which he says, it's not that easy. It's like beat the clock. There's a lot of pressure there. Uh, that Again, uh, pre-Viagra world also, Keeve. This was a pre-Viagra world? <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, it definitely this, wasn't ubiquitous. Uh, yeah, I think it was uh, right, right before. Viagra. I think really right around that time of when is uh, again now. And now we're going to get into um, uh, you know the, and my internet search history will be more interesting for whatever <laughs> the coroner that shows up. Yeah. Uh, oh, you think the coroner checks your your? Yeah. Search why was now? he on the Wikipedia page for Viagra? <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, I'm not sure when exactly it came on the market, but I have to feel like uh, I think uh, mid 90s, I think, is probably uh, around the point now. <laughs> um, I think mid to late 90s. Uh, apparently, uh, they have found that uh, helps with jet lag. How about that? Wheels? Ooh, who knew? <laughs> yeah. Wait, can, I t- can I tell you a funny story? I the, would love to hear one. The um, my wife. um. And I stayed in someone's of like a family friend's house for the weekend because they lived like next door to uh, like a friend we were staying at. Mm-hmm. So they said we're going out of town. Uh, you know, the, we knew the people whose house we stayed at like a little bit. They were happy to let us stay in their home. And uh, they said, like, just go upstairs and you make a right and you could stay in in like the big bedroom. And um, we. Uh, we did that, you know. We we stayed there. I think we probably had like a one kid. We probably had a baby at that point. We stayed in the in the room, and the only thing, like, it was totally nice and very clean, and it was this giant like master bedroom. And I'm like, oh, that was so nice that they like left us their master bedroom. But I thought it was weird that the gentleman who um who uh, invited us to stay in his room left like a giant like bottle of Viagra right by the um like the on the nightstand. Mm-hmm. I'm like, they you would think that they would have put that away before they invited. us. Anyway, weekend's over. We go back. Don't they stigmatize, like, Keith. <laughs> they call Monday morning and they say, like, uh, you know, we're glad you had a good time. Like, it's not a big deal, but you were supposed to stay in, like, our, our kid's bedroom. And, like, they said, like, right when they meant left or, or whatever, uh, like, in the email. And so, like, we were not supposed to stay in the bedroom with the giant bottle of Viagra on the nights that we yes. stayed in the wrong room. Yes. <laughs> uh, and they did not leave a mint on the pillow each night? Uh, no. So, I mean, I... <laughs> I, you know, that's that's my only uh, experience with Viagra on that guy's on that, on that guy's uh, night table. Uh, according to my Google search, uh, so in 1996, Pfizer got the clinical approval uh, in the United States, and in March of 1998, uh, the FDA approved the use of uh, Viagra to treat erectile dysfunction. So uh, again, no word on how difficult the packaging for the Viagra is to open. Right. Yeah, I think. Um when it launched in 98, it, like it, the whole 1998 was one big Viagra joke. Like if you were like a, a David yeah. Letterman, you had a full year of material right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that March of 1998, they were too close. Like they probably had already written the finale or because if there was a, you know, Seinfeld 
season 10 script uh season yeah. premiere season 10 is all viagra yes and that's when the show jumps the shark i feel like they got out just in time <laughs> they got out just in time so then uh when you watch all of the tonight show uh season five with jay leno <laughs> then uh we'll have to count the viagra jokes so yeah. uh going back to uh kramer uh, he's on the AIDS walk. Where's your AIDS ribbon? Uh, he says, I'm walking against AIDS. I don't want to wear the ribbon. Put your ribbon on. Uh, and then uh, we get the return of Cedric and Bob from uh, the Soup Nazi just a couple episodes earlier. Yes. Uh, the second of three appearances for these two gentlemen. Okay. Well, are you pumped up to see Cedric and Bob here? I feel like in a small enough dose here, it's totally fine. Yes. Uh, this guy won't wear a ribbon. Who won't wear the ribbon? Yes, that's uh, what uh, uh, Cedric and Bob are uh, are back to say. Uh, do you like this appearance of them more than the armoire appearance? In the yeah, yeah, I feel like they're less annoying here. Uh, again, they appear finally in uh, the Puerto Rican Day Parade. Uh, I, I hate them most in the, in the Soup Nazi, but they're fine. They're yeah. not supposed to be likable. I, I think that they're funnier here because it's a more ridiculous thing that they're getting mad about. Like, they're not armed robbers stealing an armoire in that right. <laughs> like they are in the soup nazi here they're right. sort of bullies about kramer needing to wear a ribbon right they are felons let's not give them like, a full <laughs> free ride here they're not great guys yeah, but they're for a good cause here yeah here now like even that's why sometimes like someone you know you'll hear a story like this guy had like a secret uh you know like did let's say you know some person uh did something wrong and then there's always like i knew him and he was great mm-hmm. it's like listen cedric and bob are are armed robbers who also support charity like people can never get like if someone they know is caught doing something they always think like it's not possible because that's not the cedric and bob i knew right exactly but they they don't realize that you know people could be good and bad yeah all right so we go back to elaine interviewing billy in her apartment he says he's very sponge worthy uh, he talks about how uh, that they have a good rapport. He owns a profitable electronics distributing firm. Do you think that Billy potentially took a hit when Leaping Larry went out of business? Um, yeah, or he's like, uh, could it have been good for him, though? <laughs> I don't know. Like, there's no Leaping Larry. Now he's just like selling straight to the consumer. He opens up his own store, maybe. I don't know. Yes. He said that his blood tests are immaculate. Did he subject himself to blood testing as part of this sponge worthy testing? Yeah, I'd like to see because I feel like he said the bathroom in your apartment, like, he's clearly been given a list of things to do to even show up for this interview. I feel like that the blood testing, I do feel like based on our experience in the frozen yogurt, I feel like it's probably is going to take a little while to turn around now. Yeah. But what if you're wealthy, like Billy, the electronics entrepreneur, you could probably pay someone to like, you know, get that going, the, you know, in one day. Yeah. And Elaine was going to do something about your sideburns. He says, yes, I'm going to trim my sideburns. This to me feels uh, uh, especially odd. Now, Elaine is going to uh, use a sponge on him. Doesn't he need to trim the sideburns pre-sponge usage? I mean, she's not asking to go steady. He wants to be sponge-worthy. He wants to get in the club. So- yeah, it's a good question. I, I think it's just the general idea of, like, I don't want to be with a guy who has sideburns. But if I know they're going, I can tolerate it. Okay. Also, the idea of, is the tub in his apartment clean right now? What does she care if it's clean or not? I think, yeah, same idea. She wants to be with a guy who has got a clean tub. (laughs) Okay. Tub means love. That we know. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. He is uh, approved for sponge usage, uh, and it's off to the races for Billy and Elaine. 
So Jerry goes to Lena's apartment and he's talking to her about it. He basically wants to break it off with her and because she's uh, not depraved enough. Uh, yeah, she's too good for him. Too good. So she's working on cleaning a sweater in the sink, which is really uh, almost incredulous to, to me to even think about potentially doing that. And so she sends him to go get a towel from her bedroom closet. So Jerry goes in there and she has nothing but cases of the Today's Sponge and like one towel on top of the boxes. Keeve, did she send Jerry into that closet with the intention of him seeing all the Today's Sponges? I don't think so. I think it's the same as the guy sending me to his Viagra bedroom on, you know, like it wasn't his intention. Okay, so do you think that that was the issue there? It almost to me is like, hey, could you go ahead and uh, go get a towel from in there? And it's like, hey, do you see this lifetime supply of the sponge that I'm working on? <laughs> yeah, I get just like just to know that she's uh, DTS down the sponge. Yeah, down the DTS. <laughs> so I don't know. And so you think you think it was an honest mistake? You think that maybe Jerry went to the wrong place? Yeah, he might have gone the wrong place, or it wasn't the first thing she was like. She didn't think like always going to notice or even know what these dumb sponges are. Yeah. Okay. So she hands Jerry hands her the towel, and then she wants to. Oh, what were you going to say? And he ends up having to scramble to tell her anything because he doesn't want to break up with her now. And he says, hey, did you know that I changed the waist on my pants from a 32 to a 31? And she seems very confused. Yeah. He picks the worst thing other than the actual thing to tell her. (laughs) All right. So we see a a pretty racy scene, I think, uh, between George and Susan in bed where they are racing to get a condom wrapper open. And so... Susan is you know, telling George, come on, just do it. And then uh, she says, let me try. He says, you have to do it like a bag of chips. Uh, I don't believe that's correct, Keeve. No, I, I, you know, I, I will give uh, the director, I guess, Andy Ackerman, a lot of credit for how he shot the scene. Because you said it's racy. It is. But they don't show they just show their feet right during the scene. Yeah, I don't uh, even know. If you, I, do you see their feet? I see, you know, you see close up hands on the wrapper. Oh, or the hands. Was it the hands, not the feet? Um. It just shot well in a way that, like, NBC couldn't object to the scene, but you still fully know what's going on without really losing any of it without seeing them. I think he did a good job here. Unfortunately, George uh, was losing it. And uh, by the end of the scene, he throws it away and says uh, it was too late, too late for beat the clock. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't. He could use it later. Like, I don't know why he's throwing it away, but whatever. (laughs) I think once you open it, I think you have to use it. I think it's a real use it or lose it scenario. You, you You can't wait an hour. I guess you could wait an hour. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. When he loses it, I don't know when it, how long it takes to come back. So if you... Okay, I got it. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that you... you know, I, I think you're supposed to, uh, like, pretty quickly, once, uh, once it's exposed to the elements, I think you're supposed to, you know, get the show on the road. Simon Rich, who's uh, Frank Rich's uh, son, and he, he's a longtime SNL writer. And now he, I, he does... Um, it's a crazy sitcom on Comedy Central. That's his show. I don't, I don't know the name of it it's like it's really insane but anyway okay. um so he has a great short story which i think is probably still available free it was because it was in new yorker um which is about like the life of like told from the perspective of a life of a condom in a teenager's pocket it's really funny everyone should read it <laughs> a man seeking woman is the name of his show okay so we go back to Kramer and he is surrounded by Cedric Bob and the walkers and 
So uh, really, and, and it's funny that we call them walkers because this is like a Walking Dead type scene. Yeah, it where, does look like the Walking Dead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And Kramer unfortunately is not able to get under a dumpster in this scene because uh, they say, uh, "Hey, you better wear the ribbon." He's not wearing the ribbon, and Kramer says, "I don't have to do anything. I don't want to." And then he tries to like climb a ladder to get away, and they all just get him. Uh, yeah, it, it, the scene is pretty similar. It's also in an alley, right? It's pretty similar to the karate scene we're going to see later in the series. Mm-hmm. All right. So Jerry and George are over at the finish line and Jerry says, well, he completely turned her off. And uh, George says, well, why did you tell her that? Why did you tell her about the pants size? Uh, and Jerry has a, another funny callback in this episode. He says, but I don't want to be a 32. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he could have said anything. What should Jerry have said here? <laughs> uh, to Lena or here in this? To Lena, to Lena, to Lena. Uh, that he could have told her, you know, I have Euromyces Tysis. Well, he could have just said, you're too good for me. I'm worried about. Yeah. And she'd say, come on. I'm not too good for you. Yeah. Come on, you. Yeah. All right. Let's go see the sponges. In yeah. The Do you like the shut-ins more than me? Right. <laughs> no. Something like that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Jerry says that Lena told him he wasn't sponge worthy. She wouldn't waste a sponge on him. And that's pretty bad because she's got uh, easily yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you know. Thousands. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Two lifetime supplies of uh Do you sponges. think like she's some kind of freak or or this is just like she just is smart and you know, some people buy buy a lot of like, you know, uh, Are you saying that she's toilet- a, a lady in the streets, Keeve? Um, I don't know. I don't know if uh like listen, some people just bulk shop at Costco. That doesn't mean they're obsessed with tissues, right? Mm, <laughs> I guess that's possible. I guess that's possible. You think she got like some sort of a good deal? Yeah, I think she just like they like, hey, we, we need to get rid of these just for a hundred bucks you can buy all these. And but like, I disagree right, so. that she says that Jerry is not sponge worthy, which implies that the uh properties of supply and demand here. Right, but this ties back into the hoarding thing where like people uh, even if they have a million of them or are, are hesitant to give up something or to throw something out, maybe in the sense of order where like every single piece of their property is so precious. Mm. So, sim- you know, even if she has a lifetime supply of sponges to her, she still has to like, you know, do what Elaine does for every one and really, uh, you know, figure out if this person's worthy. A real accounting of them. So yeah. George says, uh, you know, the condom killed him. Why'd they have to make those wrappers so hard to open? Jerry says, it's probably so the woman has one last chance to change her mind. And I like that uh, George says, you never run out, do you? You never? Uh, <laughs> I, I like that interplay between them. So the thing I don't like here is mm-hmm. this idea of where's Kramer? Everybody's finished. And Kramer, he's like all beat up. And he ends up barely getting across uh, the finish line. And Jerry is like scolding him and says to Kramer, ah, look at you. I told you, you shouldn't have stayed up all night playing poker. Uh, see, you had you didn't listen to me. You had to stay up all night on this bender. And now look at you. So what's your problem with the scene? It's like what we know what happened. I mean, what's the joke here that Jerry thinks that he's all tired from playing poker, but he really yeah, that he's just disheveled because because he played poker. Yeah, it's just to me. It's the weakest part of the episode. Who cares what Jerry thinks about why Kramer is all beat up? I guess I hear. Yeah, it's not. The ending to this scene isn't great, although I do like the tag a lot after this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I hear I hear what you're saying. Um, did Jerry see Kramer like leave the poker game? He did. Well, we I see mean, him. Yeah, he saw him in the morning. He so saw right. Him. So he he wasn't. He didn't look like this in the morning. So how could he have gotten this? You know, like destroyed basically afterwards. Doesn't. Really I think make it's a lot of sense, the worst right? part of a great episode. Okay, I, I fine. I I am not going to argue with you. Okay, uh, George wants to know. Hey, where's your AIDS ribbon? 
at the end. All right, so then we have the tag at the end, and here's Elaine and Billy. And so uh, everything was good, but uh, Billy is going back in uh, that he wants round two. And Elaine says, uh, no, what are you doing? Uh, you know, uh, she can't afford two of them for Billy. Yeah, two is, is, is asking too much. That's asking too much. Yeah, I like, the, I like the end to this. Uh, poor Billy. Never going <laughs> to see Billy again. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know exactly. I think that maybe, uh, I don't know how we're ever going to get the answer for this. I, I'm not sure if the, uh, depends on like how quick of a turnaround this is from the events yeah. of last night to yeah. today in terms of the reusage sing- of the sponge. Reusage of the sponge. Yeah, yeah. I remember sure. thinking this when I was like 12 and I watched this episode and 20 <laughs> wow. years later, I, st- I still don't, I still don't know the answer to <laughs> wow. that question. Yeah. So I don't know. According I'm sure Chester is an expert. He, I'm sure he could let us know. According to the research I did, the sponge, yeah. uh, you know, uh, you know, it was good. For I believe up to six hours, and then yeah. I think by like like twenty four thirty hours, I think you had you had to make sure. That well, was it. that should have been good for Billy. I feel like if it's good for six hours, I feel like that's you know that's a plus. Like if you were pitching that to Elaine, mm-hmm. yeah, you know we have six yeah. hours here, but I don't I don't know if she's buying okay. that. All right, uh, so let's start to uh, talk big picture of the Sponge. Very fun episode. Yeah, yeah, really really solid episode. Sure. Yeah, lots of good stuff here. Uh, if we're going to do our grades real quick, Elaine and the Sponge, you have to say uh, it's an uh, A-worthy. No, absolutely. Definitely okay. an A. Uh, iconic. Maybe the most iconic Elaine storyline in all of Seinfeld? Um, hmm. I mean, the, like how much, you know, how much credit are you giving her for the soup Nazi, I guess? Like how much credit are you giving her for the con? You know, it, it's hard to say. But in terms of like just a direct Elaine storyline that doesn't really con ties in but doesn't connect then maybe yeah maybe the yeah. answer is yes easily on the mount rushmore of elaine yeah. storylines yeah that Lot maybe that's lines. the mount rushmore we'll make if we're really bored the second time around yeah and i think it's probably the best elaine pl- single plot line so far at least yeah all right so for george and his storyline with uh with susan he doesn't have a ton to do here uh but i think everything he does here is is good i don't have a problem giving him an a yeah supporting uh, work but nothing bad in his storyline i agree and- Okay, uh, Jerry and Lena from the soup kitchen. Yeah, that's fine. I'll give it an A minus because there's nothing classic, but it, it, it doesn't take anything away from the episode. I think it's more of a B for me in terms of her being sort of unremarkable in terms of her storyline and not really super memorable. And then uh, just the whole thing about the jeans is weird. So uh, he gets a B and then Kramer and the AIDS walk. I'll give that a B too. I feel like it doesn't it doesn't make a ton of sense, you know, at the end, like you said uh it's not the funniest thing in the world but it's fine it doesn't it doesn't uh it's not you know it doesn't do any uh anything great for me but it's not uh people seem to really remember the aids walk stuff also the aids ribbon yeah for some reason it's held it's been remembered more than you'd think i think it's the idea of you have to wear the ribbon i don't want to wear a ribbon no but you have to i think that that's sort of uh particularly iconic i think it's probably maybe the first time that that got touched on in popular culture i just think that it is uh again the weakest part of the episode in terms of Kramer doing an AIDS walk. Uh, you know, who cares if he stayed up all night? I didn't think that there's any sort of uh, major laughs. I'll give it a C plus for the AIDS mm-hmm. walk. Okay. Yeah. All right, Keeve. So here's where we get down to the nitty gritty with your rankings of the episode. Is this a top 30 episode for you? Uh, well, you want to just guess the number because you like to you like to guess this. Uh, I guess number. it's a uh, thirty-one. Oh, it's thirty-two overall. An amazing guess. Yeah, 
feel like I uh, mean, I, I but I could you know I was thinking about this. It could definitely be higher. Like this is a really great episode. We have very few nits to pick with it. Uh, there are classic, li- you know, there are classic lines. Like if somebody said, "Hey, this is a top ten episode for me," I wouldn't blink. Yeah, but for for me, uh, thirty two seems fair. There's a lot, you know, it's hard to break into the top thirty. There's a lot of classics still to come. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't make it sixty for the number of sponges in the episode. Oh no, 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 that would be too harsh. On <laughs> so I'll half a case of sponge uh, episode for you. Exactly. Okay. All right. Let's get into our emails for the podcast. Seinfeld at post show recaps is where you can email the show every week. Uh, you want to start off with Johnny D. Silvera, who says, what's the strangest way either of you have ever gotten a woman's phone number? How, Johnny D. Silvera, how many no- episodes of this podcast have you listened to? Yeah, this is the 119th, but I don't know if he's ever actually listened to one if he's asking this question. <laughs> he may have them on in the background. Um, <laughs> I, I'd say the answer for both of us is convincing them to marry us. And then we got their phone number. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anybody that, you know, I, I feel like that uh, that the couple of phone numbers that I got, I don't have any good stories of getting somebody's phone number. Uh, like, it's like I have to ask somebody like, hey, can I have your friend's phone number? You uh, never did the, hey, do you like apples thing to somebody after? No, no stop. Okay. Stop it. Okay. okay. Uh, what about uh, Ariel uh, in concerning the pool guy? Yeah, so she's asking about last week's episode. Ariel is a uh, Red Cross certified lifeguard and swim instructor. Yes. Uh, and uh, and she'd uh, she'd like to tell us that uh, mouth to mouth resuscitation, uh, mainly just like any other life saving tactic, if it's not started immediately, the chances of survival are slim to none. Mm. Secondly, if they feel a pulse for 10 seconds and don't feel for a pulse in t- for 10 seconds and don't detect one, CPR needs to be started. And while breaths in this case are necessary because it's drowning related, Newman and Jerry could at least be slightly less bad people. If they would just call 911 and get an AED, an automated external defibrillator, and start chest compressions. Listen, that's over their head. If yeah. it was me, I'd also probably freak out and not do that. Yeah, I think so, too. Hard to blame them for uh, freaking out. Like the th- It's very much that you can uh, empathize with them being free- freaking out, but you know, you, it's hard to empathize with them of not screaming and getting help. Like standing mm-hmm. there and be like, oh, I don't want to give them mouth to mouth. Why don't you give them mm-hmm. mouth to mouth? Yeah, that seems um, impossible. Okay, what does a Max the Millennial want to tell us? Max the Millennial writes in. I was hoping that Max the Millennial might be able to uh, write in that. I feel like that maybe I don't know if uh, maybe we need some sort of like the, our, we need like our swinging uh, like uh, young happening correspondence to uh, not to imply that Max the Millennial is not young and happening, but uh, you know <laughs> he's you know a young guy and he's listening to this podcast. So right? If you're so. young and happening, there's no way you've ever listened to this <laughs> right. podcast. No right. offense, Max. Uh, that uh, you know maybe we might be able to get the the latest trends in birth control uh, from uh, the people that are out there in the uh, in the marketplace. But uh, Max the Millennial says uh, the Sponge was one of the episodes that really showcased why Susan isn't a great comic actress. Between this episode and last week's, she had a lot to do and hasn't been very funny either time. Her acting job really isn't Sponge worthy. Did you think Susan was bad in this episode? No, I you know I've complained about Susan in almost every appearance she's had this season, but. I- to me, she was totally fine in this episode. It's actually her best episode so far. This I season. agree. I think she was fine as well. I really like that how happy she was when George confided in her. Also, uh, Max says, uh, in your experiences, is it true that couples have to share everything? Rob, if Stephen Fishback confided in you, would you tell Nicole? I can't think of the thing that Stephen Fishback would tell me that I would <laughs> either. It would be something that would be so nerdy about Survivor that she wouldn't care. <laughs> Or, or if understand. it was like something, you know, particularly like uh, interesting, 
Like right. I, I don't think I would uh, like uh, tell her or something like that. So what? Well, I, what if he said? What if he said, "I'm going back on Survivor. You can't tell anyone." Do you tell your wife? Um, I mean, because she would care about that. Not, yeah, I, I don't know I if mean, it would like make her day, but she would at least be interested to hear it. I, I'm, uh, I'm, I, I mean, I'm trying to think of when that scenario did happen. Right. Uh, <laughs> if if you I told your her. wife. Yeah, I mean, I think funny. I probably did only because that, I mean, who's she talking to? It's not like she's going to tell anybody. Right. No, no, no. I, I feel like it's the vault is pretty safe there just for lack of interest. Yeah. It's not like she's calling up her survivor friends. And, no, no, yeah. no, 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 no. There's no way that goes anywhere past her. <laughs> right. Right. All right. Uh, how about Caleb? Caleb says uh, last week, George was flipping out about be- about Susan being with George's friends in independent George's world. This week, George is totally OK with Susan being involved in independent George's life. Mm-hmm. Sloppy job by the writers. Or is there another reason? Yeah. What, so what do you mean in terms of that she is like going to a double date dinner? Yeah. He goes from I don't want you guys to meet to now I need you on the double date because I'm in trouble. That's kind of I, I guess once the worlds are broken down, they're broken down. That's probably the answer, right? Yeah. I mean, and she's met all of them back in season four. Yeah. I don't I don't totally I, I hear what he's saying, but I feel like once we got past last week's episode, the ship has sailed and he understands they're a part of, uh, you know, the, his friends are part of Susan's life until it is no more in a few weeks. Okay. Um, uh, he says, uh, do you know if the actresses playing Susan and Jerry's girlfriend this week are related or not? They look similar. Did you think that? I did not. Uh, and, it, uh, Aline, you know, Lena was perfectly fine, I thought, in this episode, but uh, she really stops acting right after this. Uh, <laughs> there's not, not oh. much more to her career. Oh, uh, yeah. All right. Now Caleb says something uh, which I, I'm interested in your take on. Because Caleb, Caleb is our is our restaurant worker also, if you remember. He says, in the, in the restaurant, when the girl is sitting with Jerry and she asks her waiter to take their leftovers and wrap them up, Caleb is here to tell us that no restaurant worker would ever do that. They would bring the, the to-go box to the table and make them pack their own boxes unless the person asking for the to-go box is clearly elderly. Hmm. Now, this is the worst take anyone's ever written in with. Because I've <laughs> been to restaurants, like I go to restaurants with my kids. My daughter will always eat two bites of noodles, then chase her sister around the restaurant the rest of the time. And then she has like $20 of noodles on the table that she's had one bite of. And now it's like, okay, we're sending you to school. You know, she wants her noodles. We're sending her to lunch to school for, you know, uh, her school lunch tomorrow will be the $19 left of noodles. Like never in the history of the world would a restaurant say, no, pack it yourself. I've never seen that. And I've asked, I've never not finished my meal at a restaurant, but I've been with many people haven't. And I've never seen a restaurant do that. So if he's talking about a fast food restaurant, yes, that might not be what like a McDonald's or a KFC does, you know, does. Once you're getting to waiter service, uh, he is totally incorrect. Am I am I crazy here? <laughs> yeah, I think that this seemed like a weird uh, email that we got from Caleb. I mean, I'm sure that some restaurants, they might just give you a to-go box. But I think that there are plenty of restaurants where they will wrap up the food for you. But now I'm wondering, is Caleb maybe from Australia and they have totally different rules about this in Australia? Oh, possible. Because I bet that's it. I think Caleb is from Australia and they have – because in America – like the restaurant would be shut down if they said like pack it yourself. There's yeah. no, they would oh I mean have you ever gotten something to go before? I I've definitely been places where I get a box and they just give you yeah. the box to wrap it up. Sure. Really. But, but but you've also been places where they are happy to take it back and put it in a bag for you, right? Yeah, yeah, it's been both things. Yeah. Both so I, the idea that doesn't exist. I I think Caleb's from Australia. That's very interesting. It's probably a cultural thing. Can I give you one uh, comment from the website this week on PostShowRecap? Oh, yes, please, please, please. Okay. Uh, this, I was reading the comments uh, yesterday on the website from uh, last week's episode of The Pool Boy, 
And uh, Gal Bomb posted a comment. Uh, and it was just an article, uh, and the link, and, and what Gal wrote was, uh, they need Ramon. And so I said, okay, what is this link? And so it turns to a, a story about the Olympics, Keeve, your other love. Uh, yes. why has the Olympic pool turned green? The good mm. news is it's not urine. So, uh, maybe they need Ramon to come in and, uh, bring all of his extra chlorine to go clean up the Olympic pool. Yes, it's a, if you see the side to side pictures of the diving pool, it went from blue to green overnight. They said it's because of the algae now. I don't know, pretty fishy to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't know exactly what's going on there, but uh, Ramon, the pool boy, uh, his services are in need in Rio. And we just, a uh, late breaking news, we just got an email from Lindsay. Just Lindsay. this second. Yes. Uh, so Lindsay says, uh, we definitely talked about this in an earlier episode, but she hates it when people wear glasses they don't need. She feels like she earned her glasses-wearing privileges by having an extremely awkward adolescence, and the fact they're fashionable now is my reward. Yeah, no, that uh, would burn me up, too. Yeah, uh, Lindsay, as a, as a person who only wears glasses 24 hours a day and falls asleep in them, I 100% agree. I feel like I never got really uh, made fun of. I was too cool um, for people to make fun of me. But I think that the idea now, like, glasses were definitely not cool. The idea now that that people could just wear glasses without any prescription they just buy for like $2 in the store is annoying. I feel like it's it's like a bifocal, you know, appropriation or something like that. I yeah. don't that doesn't really do it for me. Yeah. It's You like, should have to ask permission of your glasses wearing friends before you do something like that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, akin to the Larry David thing of the people who shave their head should not be considered bald people. Yeah, I agree. Same sort of uh, thing. Another question from Lindsay, a good point here. Susan telling George to run into the drugstore while she waits in the car makes no sense. She's in the passenger seat, and it would be way easier for her to run in, especially at the moment she asks, as they're not even pulled off to the side of the road yet. Uh, You know what I think it is? I was thinking about this. Yeah. Could you have a guess why Susan would ask her fiancé George to run into the drugstore to buy the thing? Um, Tell me why. I think, and it doesn't make sense so much with what we know about Susan, but I think she's trying to get George to pay for it. Mm, yeah. It's like, yeah, someone to run in. It's your fiance. He's just going to buy it. And then you're, you're good to go. So yeah. while Susan, as we, we learn very soon, has much more money than George, I think the, uh, you know, maybe she's a little cheap. It's so. Not liquid, maybe. maybe. Yeah, maybe she's not liquid. It's all <laughs> in, the, uh, in the Ross Family Foundation. Okay. What about Craig from Vancouver? Uh, he says it's so cool to find out that Scott Peterson or Scott Patterson is in this episode. Scott Peterson is in a totally different episode. <laughs> a different episode. He's not sponge worthy. Uh, no, uh, I just started getting to Gilmore Girls, and he's really good in that. The show is good in general. Who knew? Also, he would he wouldn't make it onto Mr. Burns' softball team with those sideburns. <laughs> Why, Mr. Burns? Uh, he yeah. also says this is this is a uh, uh, a good piece of info from uh, Craig from Vancouver. He says the plot is based on a true story in which an actor from Days of Our Lives named Deirdre Hall refused to wear an AIDS ribbon at a place like the daytime Emmys. And claim that he was, bu- first of all, Deidre, I thought is a dude's name, but she's saying he, I mean, a girl's name, but she's saying he, okay, I assume Deidre's a boy, um, that claimed that he was being bullied into wearing the ribbons. I also agree with this. If he's walking and has paid money, then he's doing his part. Then again, it's just a ribbon. What's the harm in wearing? Yeah, Deidre Hall is a woman. Yeah, so, okay. So we just mixed up our pronouns there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. All right. Uh, anybody else? All right. Uh that uh, I've got one more. Uh, this is from uh, Chester. What is Amir not send us emails anymore? He grew out Listen, of the podcast. He sent us last week. Like, he's not. He doesn't Only if schedule. you talk about him now. <laughs> I think I, Amir. I think Amir is confused by our schedule during the summer. Okay. 
All right, yeah, because in, instead of uh, if, if we do it on uh, Wednesday, that'll really that's really so confusing. He likes for- Amir like Amir's pro Thursday. He's very pro Thursday, Amir. <laughs> All right, but I think we're on Thursday for like one week. <laughs> he liked the Thursday. <laughs> okay, uh, so this is uh, as <laughs> Keeve has built him the human version of Harambe. Hopefully, Chester, who says uh, the whole AIDS walk list story doesn't make any sense. Every walker puts together his or her whole list of sponsors. Uh, so we, we talked about this uh, earlier, right? Yeah. Chester, you should anticipate what we're going to talk yeah. about. Okay. That's a sign of a good emailer. All right. And then Kramer says that he read that the sponge was being taken off the market in Wall Street Week, but he clearly says Wall Street Journal. Uh, there's a hyperlink here. What did he link to? Oh, I don't know. When he links the stuff, I don't <laughs> even include it. So he sent a... A, a video of like he's dubbing something from TiVo and uh, Chester's on TiVo and it's like know. in slow I, motion like there's a Pruder film here I don't I, it, I, it's something about a I GoPro I'm not sure. I'll take Chester's word for it so that I guess that Chester is implying that they he said Wall Street Journal and they dubbed it Wall Street Week that is pretty bizarre actually that's a good find by Chester if that's true okay why isn't Susan more bothered by the fact George knows that the sponge is off the market despite not knowing what her form of birth control is? Who else is he speaking to about women's birth control issues? Can he just say he read it in the paper? Wall Street Week. Yeah, Wall Street Week. So I think that uh, good point about the first thing. Susan should be annoyed about uh, George's lack of interest in uh, this area, but I don't think that she should presume that he is like cheating on her in right. uh, some other area. All right. Last week, Akiva implied that I, Chester, blamed Susan for her own murder because she stayed engaged to such a madman. This week, I'm doubling down and saying she deserved it for doing exactly what George begged her not to do and with the same friend in Jerry's fantasy. Hashtag snitches get stitches. Um, yeah, no, I, listen, I'm not advocating murder like uh, Esquire Alexander Chester here is, <laughs> but I think that uh, she is clearly an awful person. I don't yeah. know if she still had it coming, but this is like, and it is funny that is that the exact friend like Chester's pointing out that in Jerry's fantasy, he thinks she will squeal to is the one she does. Yeah. Also, then Chester writes that George's question at the end of the episode is valid. Where is Kramer's ribbon? Wasn't the whole point of beating him to get him to wear it? These uh, do-gooders beat the crap out of Kramer and then left him without a ribbon. What was the point? I mean, did Kramer win the fight? I really doubt it. We can take a look at the other guy. What if they what if they beat him, stuck the ribbon on him, but he's so stubborn that as he's stumbling down the last block of the of the AIDS walk, rips it off again. Yeah, I think that's probably what happened. And then finally Chester writes in to say this is obviously neither original nor unique to Seinfeld, but Billy leaning in first thing in the morning and not immediately being rejected for morning breath is the least realistic thing about this episode boy <laughs> yeah that seems very close to home for chester being rejected for bad breath <laughs> <laughs> wow uh, that's uh chester's issue with this uh i mean yeah. who knows who knows that you know maybe um again i i don't want to speculate on the oral hygiene of uh billy from gilmore girls yeah i mean but listen maybe he hadn't been to Watley in a while yeah okay all right so keeve uh mm-hmm. that being said uh, yep. Let's talk hashtag. We got some options for you. I actually, for the first time in 119 episodes, I wrote one down. Yes. What do you got? I got DTS or down to sponge. Down to sponge. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I also had in uh, the mix uh, hashtag home challenged or anti bum. 
And also okay. uh, hashtag Viagra bedroom. Viagra bedroom is good. I, I, uh, what do you like? Whatever, <laughs> no, whatever. D- one I, you I like think then. it should be D- uh, DTS. Okay. Leaves you a lot of room to write your other thoughts there. Yeah, there you go. All right. Uh, excellent work. Keeve at Keeve 26 on Twitter. Uh, what's coming up on the 32 fans podcast? I saw that you and Chester had dropped an NFC North preview recently. Yeah, well, we did a different division first, but it was a technical disaster. So we have to piece that together. Yes. Chester's- but yeah, we started with the we started with the uh, Vikings, Bears, Packers and Lions uh, from the NFC North. We're not going to do 32 separate episodes like we did last year, because really, our marriages and our lives pretty much were ruined from the, doing 32 podcasts in 32 days. Yes. But and we'll try do, and do I need to and, listen to Chester's uh, Teddy Bridgewater propaganda? I feel like fast forward when it gets up to the Vikings and you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. I already know his Chester's dad refused to listen to our podcast because he says I'm a Bridgewater hater. <laughs> yeah. And the same, the same dad who, when I met him in person last year, said, oh, I don't like Akiva. Yeah. Bridgewater game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> all right. So uh, we'll look for that. Uh, search for 32 fans on iTunes. Of course, uh, Mike Moore has been killing it once again with the episode recap. Scott St. Pierre is on fire with editing the podcast. We appreciate it when you subscribe and leave us feedback ratings on our iTunes page. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes for that. And we always appreciate the honest feedback the sponge worthy feedback oh sponge worthy that's a great comment for people to go ahead and leave on our itunes page mm, yeah any comment we, we would accept right not not one response from the uh the hundred thousand viewers of my uh readers of that that's been article i wrote not yes, one person said hmm let me check out this podcast and let let them know that i checked it out if people want to read that article where you ranked all of the olympic events how do they do that what search for it uh, yeah, search uh, Deadspin, uh, uh, all 306 Olympic events ranked or something like that. You'll find it. Boom. Okay, Keeve, what's coming up next week? Next week, we got the gum, a very funny episode. Uh, we have Lloyd Braun coming back. We have, uh, you know, very expensive Chinese gum. It'll be a good time. Ginseng gum. Yeah. Okay. All right. So a lot to uh, process here. Hopefully, uh, we were on point. Uh, definitely let us know what we got wrong. I'm sure you will. Seinfeld at Post Show Recaps is the email address, uh, of course. Uh, and then uh, let us know your thoughts as well on postshowrecaps.com. Until next time, take care, everybody. Bye. Bye.